It would probably help if I turned the microphone on. Y'all doing okay? Yeah? Wanted to watch that video tonight because it goes uh, along really well with our passage. Um, you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 35. Um, before we do, it is sad to see the Haskells leave us. However, our loss is kingdom gain. And that's how that works. So it really is gain. But we love you and we will miss you and appreciate you. Um, no South Rivers getting an awesome couple. Um, so when I, uh, when I started studying this chapter, um, I honestly, I didn't know a lot about Genesis 35, uh, but I told some of the guys um, earlier today, like, this is probably now my new favorite chapter in Genesis. Um, it's really awesome. And quickly into studying it, um, I realized there is no way that we will be able to go through the whole chapter tonight. So, I mean, we could preach, um, we could preach together. I could preach a sermon <laughs> out of the first four verses, easily. Um, but we're just going to look at the first 15 verses tonight, and then we'll wrap up with the rest uh, next week. Now, um, in saying all that, this chapter is way different from last Sunday's chapter, okay? Like, way different. Like, Genesis 34 is really a tough chapter. It's, it's dark. It's broken, right? Like it, and, and so 35 is the exact opposite, okay, which is, which is good for us. It's going to be fantastic. Um, Donald Gray Barnhouse actually said, he said, Genesis 34 does not mention God and is full of lust and murder, deceit, and wretchedness. But this chapter, 35, is filled with God. His name appears 10 times, plus once as God Almighty, El Shaddai, plus 11 times in the names Bethel and Israel. The contrast is striking, as it always must be in the life of a believer living outside of the will of God, and again when he returns to the will of God. So tonight's chapter is exciting, right? It couldn't be more different than last week, um, and Jacob couldn't be more different than he was last week. Uh, we're going to see Jacob actually start being the spiritual leader of his family, which was completely absent in, verse 34, in chapter 34. Uh, Jacob was uh, unfaithful, right, inconsistent um, follower of Yahweh. He was an absent dad to Dinah. He'd abdicated his position as a spiritual leader in his family. He, he let his sons seek revenge, creating chaos in the community. And he's been apathetic and selfless, selfish, not selfless which is not really a good example for anybody. Can anybody relate to that? Nobody wants to raise their hand, right? I am. I can relate to Jacob because I've acted in those ways, right? Which, um, this, this is why chapter 35 is so incredible. This is why the first four words in chapter 35, verse one, are so incredible. So before we dive in to it, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. God Almighty, we come before you now acknowledging that you are God alone, that there is no other. And we ask for you to speak to us tonight. We ask for you to satisfy our souls with just one word from your mouth. And we ask for you to, to turn our hearts towards you and away from worthless things. We ask for you to, to teach us to open up our eyes, to unite our hearts, to fear you, that we might truly love and worship you with all that we are, because you are worthy. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. 
Genesis 35, starting in verse 1. It should be on the screen for you. God said to Jacob, okay, just stop right there. Just pause. Right there. Did you pay attention last week when Brody was preaching? Right? If you didn't, go, go back and listen to it. Or right now, look at how 34 ends. Look at the last two verses in chapter 34. We forget sometimes that like the, the, the Bible was not written with the verses and chapters in them. Okay, so, and as we're preaching through them, we're doing like chapter at a time. So look at the flow of 34 and how it ends, the last two verses into 35, right? Like Jacob has been acting like a selfish, self-preserving person. Couldn't care less about anybody else. And then, so does he deserve God to speak to him? Absolutely not, right? So this is straight up grace right here in the first verse of 35, right? God is speaking to him. And God is graciously speaking to us right now through his word, right? And because we fail him daily. I know I do, but, but, but God shows us grace. So God speaking to Jacob is giving him another chance. He's a God of second chances. Because Jacob had delayed in his obedience, he shouldn't be where he is. He should be in Bethel already. And so since he's delayed in his obedience, which is disobedience, right? Delayed obedience is disobedience. So God has already had mercy on him by letting him live. And now we see God showering Jacob with grace by speaking to him, giving him a second chance, telling him to return to Bethel. So God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. And so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. And then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answered me in the days of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. And so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. Um, did you notice who took the first step in verse one? Was it Jacob? Nope, right? Jacob didn't seek out the Lord. In, in chapter 34, right? And, and then we see in chapter 35, it wasn't Jacob who sought out the Lord. It was God. God came and spoke to Jacob. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. God taking the first step. God taking the initiative. God said to Jacob. Right? So when it comes to spiritual renewal, especially spiritual rebirth, God always takes the first step. He takes the initiative. God speaks to Jacob, reminding him to return to Bethel. And Jacob listens, he repents, he leads his family to do the same. So he's being the spiritual leader he's supposed to be. Right here we see Jacob, actually in these first four verses, we see Jacob shepherding his family. Right, and so, like if you haven't been the spiritual leader, you know that you're supposed to be in your family. It's never too late to start. Right here, we see old Jacob, right? He hasn't been the spiritual leader. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're a grandpa. It doesn't matter if you're an empty nester. It doesn't matter if you're a middle-aged dude, if you're, if you're a, a young father, right, or a single mother. It, it's never too late to start being the spiritual leader that God wants you to be for your kids and for your family in your home. And you might say, how do we know Jacob was being the spiritual leader? How do we know that he was leading his family to repent? What's well, in verse two. Let's look at it. There are three main instructions that he gives 
that signify repentance. And we're going to talk about each one of them. We're going to explain each one of them, and then we're going to ask some practical questions after each one of them. The first one is put away the foreign gods. Put away the foreign gods. So you have to remember they were living in a polytheistic culture, which means a culture where they were worshiping many gods. Monotheism is is where you worship one God. And so they were living in a polytheistic culture, a pagan land, and they had taken the plunder from Shechem, right? And they contained all these idols, and they had earrings and and jewels and and just different um, crafts of, of pagan symbols on them. And so they definitely had a lot of foreign gods among them. And so he's saying, put those away, right? And you're like, well, man, that's a long time ago. That's an old culture. Well, we just saw a video with a lot of idols, right? Pretty current. And you're like, but, but we live in Andrews, North Carolina. Okay. Every Wednesday, a few Red Oak men get together and do a prayer walk around the town of Andrews, right? Recently, I was, I was walking around, and, and I noticed in someone's backyard, I have no idea who lives there, I noticed that there was a statue of Shiva. If you don't know who Shiva is, that's one of the, the deities in Hinduism. And there's a statue right there in, on the back porch. And, and I was like, this is in Andrews, North Carolina. But you don't have to have a statue on your back porch or an idol in your home or in your car for you to be an idol worshiper. Because most idols are not carved out of wood or metal or stone, right? Most of them are in our hearts. Most of them are in our heads, right? So I I highly doubt that you probably have a shrine in your house where you burn incense. If you do, we can talk later. Um, But like, you probably don't have those things because that's not really the vast majority of idolatry, In his book, Gospel Treason, Betraying the Gospel with Hidden Idols, Pastor Brad Bigney says this, an idol is anything or anyone that captures our hearts, mind, and affections more than God. It's a pretty simple definition of what an idol is. Herbert Schlossberg defines an idol this way. He says it's any substitution of what is created for the creator. People may worship nature, money, mankind, power, history, or social and political systems instead of the God who created them. So basically, anything that takes priority over your love for the Lord is an idol, right? Idols compete for our loyalty and our affections. And so we have to ask, what are the idols in our lives? What are the idols in your life? No one can answer that question for you except you. What are the idols in your life? What are the idols in your family? What are the idols in your household, right? Or maybe like like Jacob's family, maybe you're trying to mix Christianity with pagan ideology. But the reality is a, a biblical worldview doesn't mix with a secular worldview. They are diametrically opposed to one another. You cannot mix them together. So the second instruction that Jacob gives for repentance is purify yourselves. Purify yourselves. Put away the foreign gods and, and then purify yourselves because they had defiled themselves. They had mixed with the Shechemites, right? They were touching the dead bodies. They had taken the idols. They were living in the pagan culture, and therefore they were unclean. So he's literally telling them, he's instructing them to cleanse themselves, do ceremonial washings of their bodies. Now today we know, right, that that that's not how we purify ourselves, but that every person struggles in some way, shape, or form with impurity in your head and your heart. And so Jacob's call for purity 
is the charge for us today in the very same way. Just as we read Psalm 24 in our corporate reading together, I don't know if you caught it in the few verses. I'm going to just read a couple of them. Who should ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in this holy place? He who has what? Clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And so you might wonder, how do I purify myself? Like, what does that look like? It, it's, does it mean washing my hands, like going to the bathroom and washing my hands over and over and over again? Does it mean taking a shower over and over and over again? Will that purify me? No, that's not what it means, right? The beauty of the gospel is that we can't purify ourselves, that we can't do it. Because it's not outward purification. It's inward. It's from the inside out. It has to start with your heart, right? Only Christ can purify us. Only Jesus. Ian Duguid said this. He said, true purity of heart can only flow out of the life-changing power of the gospel. Changed hearts necessarily lead to changed behavior. As those who have received God's grace, you and I are called to put aside the things that are polluting us and destroying us and to counter the drift that constantly draws us away. So entrust yourself to the power of God in the gospel and get to work. Arise, go, get after it, right? What do, you, what do you need to take action? Where do you need to take action in your family, in your own life? What do you need to get rid of in your, in your life? What do you need to stop doing? What do you need to put away, to put aside? Where do you need purity? Maybe just practically Maybe you just need to write down on a piece of paper, maybe a, a three by five card or a sticky note, write down all of the idols in your life. Maybe write down all of the besetting sins that you're struggling with. And then just literally go outside in the woods or in your backyard and dig a hole and bury them. Just bury it. Or you could burn it and bury the ashes, right? Practically, that's just something that you could do, right? Very simple. Third instruction, Jacob gives this that signifies repentance is change your garments. Jacob literally tells them to change their clothes. Put away your idols, purify yourselves, and change your garments. And so they were about to leave this pagan land, and they're going to return to Bethel to worship the one true God. They needed to change clothes to have a new and fresh start. And today, as followers of Jesus, we're instructed to do the very same thing. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul gives us a metaphor for a changed life by telling believers to change clothes. Ephesians 4, 22-24 says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And so you're going to get a document um, this week in the midweek email uh, following up from this passage just very practical. This is super long. Um, I only printed like a few of them, but if you want a physical hard copy, if, you like, if you're a hard copy person, there's about 20 of them outside at the tent. You can grab one before you leave tonight. But this is called the put off, put on document. And on the left side, it says put off your old self and it has some scriptures. And then on the right hand side, it says put on the new self and it has some scriptures. And it works alphabetically through what you're putting off, through what you're putting on. 
And so, I mean, it just starts with adultery and then goes to marital fidelity, alcoholism, abstinence, anger, self-control, and just works its way through the alphabet. Now, does it cover everything under the sun? No, but it covers a lot. It's front and back, a lot of pages. Great document. Highly encourage you to pick one up or to check it out. It's gonna be in a PDF in your email this week. So where do you need to change clothes? Like, what do you need to change in your life? What do you need to, to take off and what do you need to, to put on? Right? Th- this three-part instruction from Jacob led to repentance, which led to worship, as it should. Right? Believers, we, before we worship, we must come wholeheartedly to the Lord, come with undivided hearts. So what can we learn about God from these first four verses. We're only in the first four verses. What do we learn about God from these verses? First of all, that he is gracious. He speaks. He's speaking to us now. Right? He, he appears to us. He speaks to us. He's made himself known. He's a jealous God. He calls us to worship him and him alone. Right? He, he, he requires loyalty. He's worthy of our worship. He changes the direction of our path. He is always with us. Jacob said he's, he's never left me. He's always been there. He's always answered my prayers. Always. And so we could really stop right here and just ponder these things. We should treasure these things in our hearts and let, let it lead us to adore him, to worship him. But there's more. We saw how spiritual apathy led to defilement and destruction in chapter 34 and how God's grace leads to repentance and worship so far in these first four verses. Let's continue on into verse five. And as they journeyed on, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because their God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. And so he called its name Alan Bacchus. So Jacob finally has come full circle, right? It's been a long, long time since he was back in Bethel, back to where the dream of the angel-filled ladder happened, if you remember that, back, back to where he said, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. That was all the way back in Genesis 28. Here we are in chapter 35. And we see that God has protected Jacob and his family and brought him back. He left as a single man. He's now back in Bethel, super older, with a lot of kids. Large family, Right? And so he got back there safely, not because of anything he's done, not because he was a mighty warrior, right? Not because he had some imaginary shield of protection around him, or maybe it was. Because a holy fear from the Lord fell on the other people, fell on the surrounding people, right? Who wanted to and very well could have destroyed Jacob and his sons because of what they had done to the Shechemites. And so Jacob's family we see as God's chosen family. They're divinely spared from annihilation. Right? Jacob's finally where he should be. He's worshiping the Lord with a clean, undivided heart. But yet, unfortunately, death is still a part of the journey of life. Deborah dies. And we know that this was a, a dearly loved woman, 
of Isaac and for Jacob. She was Rebekah's nurse. She would have been very old. Some people speculate she could have been 180. And, and, and she bridged the lives of Isaac and Jacob together. And she's so loved by Jacob that he mourns over this loss and he names the place Oak of Weeping. It's important for us to remember that death even comes to the family who's returned to the house of God. They've purged themselves of the idols amongst them. They've purified themselves. They've changed their clothes. But death still comes because we still live in a fallen world. The effects of sin are still evident. But God's about to show up and shock Jacob yet again. In the last section we're going to look at, starting in verse 9, it says, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And so he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. And then God went up from him in that place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. And so Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken to him, Bethel. And so the parallels between this passage where God appeared to Jacob and Genesis 17 where God appeared to Abraham are many. There's tons of parallels. There's actually nine. I'll just list them really quickly. God appeared to both of them. He appeared to them physically. And God introduced himself as El Shaddai, which means God Almighty, all-sufficient one, all-bountiful, source of all blessings, all power. And the covenant blessing is restated. Be fruitful, multiply, nations will come from you, kings will come from your loins, the land will be given to you, your seed, your offspring will bring in the promised seed of the woman. And God went up from them. All of these things happen with Abraham and with Jacob. So God rehabilitated, confirmed, and validated Jacob as the receiver of the covenant blessing. God himself changed his name in the promised land. God keeps his word. His plan's intact. His sovereign grace is on display in a mighty way. Now, you might ask, why in the world did God reappear to Jacob? Why did God bless him again? Hasn't he already done this? Why did God change his name again? I thought he already changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Why is he doing it again? Well, have you ever had to be reminded of anything in your life? I know I have. Right? Jacob had to be reminded that God changes everything. And God is saying to Jacob, I am who I am. I haven't changed. I'm the same God. I'm the same God of Abraham. I'm the same God of Isaac. I'm your God, Jacob. The God of, of Jacob is our God. He hasn't changed. You change. I change. God doesn't change. We all do stupid things just like Jacob. But God remains the same. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. God himself never changes, but he changes everything. God's grace changes everything. God's amazing grace has appeared at Bethel and changed everything for Jacob. 
God's amazing grace changes everything for us today too. You're like, how, how is that possible? I did a word study on the word appear. How, God appeared to Jacob? What does that look like? Appearing? Where does God show up in the Bible? He appears in a lot of places. You know what Titus 2.11 says? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to say no to ungodliness, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. The grace of God has appeared. How? The incarnation. God in the flesh. Right, the Savior, the promised seed of the woman, the Messiah was born. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of the grace of God. What was Jacob's response to God's reminder? A drink offering and oil poured out. Essentially, it was worship, which is the right response to grace. Worship is the right response to grace. And the ultimate act of grace, Jesus poured out a drink offering, the metaphor of his blood being spilled out on the cross in our place. So for us today, what's our response to grace? What's your response to grace? Believers, are, are you being poured out as a symbol of a sacrificial service to God Almighty for all that he has done for you? What idols are you burying what idols are you carrying around in your head that you know you need to bury? What idols have you buried but you keep going back to and digging back up? What idols do you need to put away forever? Be done. Put them away. Get up and go. Leave them behind. Have you been washed by the blood of Jesus, purified from the inside out. Are you regularly and consistently changing your garments? Are you putting off the old man or woman and putting on the new, putting on? Are, do you realize that you've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ if you're in Christ? I don't know about you, but this, this chapter, just these few verses, ran me over this week like hit me like a Mack truck because I all too often see myself in Jacob. Apathetic, half-hearted obedience, split affections, not having undivided devotion, right? Being selfish and self-centered, self-preserving. Like Jacob's sons, I, I tend to seek revenge, right? I tend to lose my cool, to live in the flesh for far too long and, and carry around the plunder of this pagan culture that we live in. How amazing is the grace that met Jacob? It's the, the grace that meets us today. Our sovereign Savior, King Jesus, is extending that amazing grace to you and me today. So will you respond in repentance and faith? Will you walk away from those idols? Will you turn to Jesus and let him bless you with new clothes of righteousness? Let him bless you with purity of heart. Let him bless you with single-minded devotion to God Almighty.
Will you arise and go in grace and worship the one true God? Let's pray. God, you are almighty. You are God alone, and we praise you. We praise you for taking the first step towards us. We praise you for meeting us in our sin, meeting us where we are, and refusing to leave us there. And we worship you for this gospel of grace. Give us faith where there's fear in our lives. Give us the strength to put away the idols that we are hiding in our hearts and in our heads and in our homes. Purify us and we will be clean. Wash us we'll be whiter than snow. Give us the courage to put off the clothing of our old way of life and to put on the clothing of righteousness that you have given to us in Christ. To put off the works of the flesh and to put on the fruit of the Spirit. May you use our bodies as instruments of righteousness for your namesake for the exalting of your name, for the glory of your name, and for the advancement of your church here in this community and around the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.